You may be seated. We're going to read the text of Scripture together from this morning from John 19. John 19, beginning in verse 12. 12 through 16 reads this way. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them, delivered him over to them to be crucified. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, in these moments as we walk through this scene with Pilate, help us to be reminded just like he did on that day, each one of us in this room and those who are listening, when we face your claim to be the king, that leads us to a crisis of decision where we must decide what to do with Jesus king. Lord, we, you know the rebellion of our hearts. You know the sorrows that we've carried. You know how we've strayed. And yet you bring us by your mercy and grace to this moment, Lord, so that we might hear again the truth of your desire to rule over us with wisdom and power and glory and goodness and righteousness and peace. Help us to hear the call to the King this morning. And we pray in the name of that King, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Covenant Church, it's great to be back with you. What a sweet joy to, to be back, and I'm grateful for this season for your church. Uh, Pastor David's been really kind to me and gracious, as lots of folks have been. And so, again, this is a sweet and gracious place to be. If you're a guest, great that you're here. We're in the middle of a conversation uh, in the text. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, I need to give you a quick reminder or update or summary of what's been going on. Jesus is in the midst of a variety of trials. During the last days, the last day or so of Jesus' life, he faces various questionings from various people. Some of those religious leaders, some of those are secular leaders. And in this case, he come, uh, we're getting to the end of a conversation or a trial or some questioning by the Roman governor named Pilate. If you're uh, with a church background, you may have heard that before, the story of Pilate and how he's the, the Roman representative there in Jerusalem during this day, a, a really strange day for the city as itself and the religious leaders as well. But ultimately, he becomes a, a pawn for the Jewish leaders as they press him 
to decide what the, what the Romans are going to do with Jesus. And so what we have today is the end of that story where Pilate has to come to a moment of decision. He, he basically presses back with this phrase, behold your king. By using that phrase, it gives actually for all of us an opportunity to weigh the same decision that he did that day. What are we going to do with Jesus? Behold your king. Several years ago, I lived in Scotland, my wife and I, and uh, I was uh, doing some graduate work and also uh, pastoring a Scottish church there. And so it was a, a sweet time for us as a, as, a, as a couple. We loved that. It was a sweet church. Uh, just being able to preach the gospel and share the gospel in various places there. It was a wonderful time of ministry. And one of the things that we loved most was getting to know the Scottish people. And they're such a kind-hearted people as a whole and were just really gracious to us Americans who made all sorts of social faux pas and did everything wrong, uh, called things by the wrong names, well, American names. And, and so they, they were very gracious to us. But one of the things that we learned pretty early, if we were going to stay on the good side with the Scots, is that we could refer to them as Scottish and we could refer to them as British, but we could never mess up and call them English. That was not a good sign. As a matter of fact, it, it, basically they filtered everything through, was it pro-Scotland or anti-England? And if, if it was those things, it was good for them. And so it was really funny to be around that. As a matter of fact, when it even came to the, the royal family, one of the things that they appreciated so much about the then queen, Queen Elizabeth II, is that her mother had been born in Scotland. <laughs> that was, for them, the, her great claim to fame, is that her mom had been born in Scotland. And so they loved the queen because of that. And so, as you may even know, as a couple of weeks ago, on September 8th, when Queen Elizabeth II passed away, she was in her Scottish residence in Balmoral, just outside of Aberdeen, when she passed away. And one of the things we were aware of has become an international story, is just how the United Kingdom and really the old vestiges of the British Empire are all mourning the loss of Queen Elizabeth. Strange days in, indeed for, for that country, for that kingdom. Can you imagine if things got even more strange? I, I don't know if you noticed, but right after her death was announced, it was pretty quickly that they announced the ascension of her son, Charles. Now, Charles III as King of England. Can you imagine if things had gotten really strange, that when Charles was named King Charles III, that uh, maybe a large section of the British population shouted out, no, we, we don't want Charles, we want to skip over him, and we want William to be our king. And there might be some support of that. William's always sort of been the, the favored one in the royal household there from his mother Diana's days on. Or maybe, maybe there's uh, some others that really want to get a little more edgy and want things to be a little more contemporary. They say, no, no, we want Prince Harry to be the king. That would be strange, right? Let's think about that for a moment. Yeah, let's not. All right, so, so maybe they did that. Or maybe they began to pick out other members of the royal household there, and Prince Andrew or Prince Edward or whomever, or maybe there really became this radical sect that began to shout out, well, we want to be the king. We want Vladimir Putin to be our king. That would be, or Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi or whatever. It, it got real strange. Well, ultimately, that sort of strange day is the scene here in John 19. 
where the one who is rightfully the king of the Jews has held up before them and the Jewish leaders and the Jews as a nation basically cry out, we want anybody but him. So if you would, let's look together at the text. And what we're going to see is that encountering Jesus and his claim to be the king causes us to decide whether we will submit to his rule. And that's what we're going to see in our text today, and really in four scenes. In this scene one, the question is, Jesus versus Caesar? Let's look at it there in verse 12. It says this, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Aramaic, Gabbatha. You see, like Pilate, eventually something's going to come along in our life where we're going to face something that causes us to be able to lose our indifference toward Jesus, and we're going to be forced to decide what we're going to do with him. So if, if maybe when you were a kid, you grew up, and maybe you grew up in a church situation, and you heard the stories of Jesus, or maybe you just thought of Jesus as kind of the baby at Christmas. And in that sense, he was someone pleasant, he was someone interesting, a historical figure, but in some ways it was indifferent to you as to the claim that he had over your life. And maybe at some point you wrestled with that a little more closely, and maybe in your teen years or even college, you really wrestled with, am I going to submit my life to this one who says he is the king? Or maybe you grew up in a non-church situation, and you were completely indifferent to Jesus because it really wasn't a part of your conversations or your thought patterns. And, and again, you kind of went through high school and maybe into college, and there was all sorts of decisions that you were making, but Jesus was not a part of that. And then you had a roommate or some, bumped into some person on campus, or maybe it's that first job and a coworker next to you talked about Jesus in a way that was different and strangely comfortable to them. And in that conversation or in those conversations, you heard more and more about this one you had been indifferent to. At first, it was just this person's kind of a nice person and they're okay and they're talking about something important to them. I'm okay with that. But regardless of the background, regardless of the moment, something happens in our life that causes us to deal with the claims that God in Christ has over our life. Maybe a crisis. It, it may be that, uh, a sense of guilt or shame over our sin. But something causes us. Maybe, again, maybe it's the kindness of that neighbor, that Christian neighbor. Maybe it's someone that invites us to a church, a, a place like this that's different than anything we've heard about churches before. And we came along mainly out of curiosity and just to be nice to those who have been nice to us. And yet now we're having to deal with something. And that is with the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? You can see where Pilate is on this. <laughs> it says, verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. His desire was to let him go. His desire was to move on with life. 
What Pilate wanted to do with Jesus is he wanted to continue his own trajectory and Jesus not be a part of that story. But what's going to happen in these moments is Pilate's going to be pressed to deal with Jesus in a way that he didn't want to. And for us, uh, we have the same decision. Our decision is not whether we're going to release Jesus, as he did, but are we going to cling to him or not? Pilate has to deal with a couple of false claims that come from these Jewish leaders who are opposing Jesus. Do you notice it in verse 12, that these false claims? One of the false claims is that releasing Jesus is going to oppose Caesar. This is what they say. From then on, this is verse 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. You see what they're saying? That if you release Jesus, then you're opposed to Caesar. So some of the reasons where people are able to dismiss Jesus is they create a a false opposition or dichotomy, that to choose Jesus means this other thing needs to be out of my life, or or that to be a follower of Jesus means I've got to move to some high mountaintop and move up on and, and, and live up on some ivory tower and just sort of hum to myself throughout the day peaceful thoughts. Wearing a Jesus shirt. And, and since I don't need that, I, I can't live that way. I'm not, I'm not independently wealthy. I have to work for a living and live in this world and live in this neighborhood and do these things. I can't follow Jesus because I can't live that ascetic life. I can't live that way. It's one of the false claims that we have that it's Jesus versus this other thing in our life. M- mostly, this, every once in a while, let's be, let's be clear about this. Jesus ruling our life means that we do displace ourselves and we end up in some place in the world uh, doing missions or something great for the kingdom that is very difficult and so different than what we've ever did. Some of you, a few of you, that is indeed the call of Christ for you. But can I also say that for most of us, to live the life of Christ is to live where you're living and work where you're working. And be in the situations that you're in. Coach the Little League and hang out with these friends. But to do so now under the rule of a king. And so this false claim that the Jews are trying to press at Pilate, who's, who's willing to release Jesus, they say, no, no, no. If you release this man, then you're not Caesar's friend. You, they've created this dichotomy that's not the case. So I ask you, if you're trying to dismiss Jesus and kind of keep him aside, keep him at bay, his claims over you at bay, are you using a claim like that? Well, I, I just don't have the time to, to move to Tibet, so I can't follow Jesus. There's a second false claim. Did you see it? It's also in the same verse, verse 12. They said this, that if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend, and everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. See, the second false claim is that Jesus made himself a king as a rival to Caesar. You see it? Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar, as if Jesus' kingdom was about this world, about exerting political pressure and authority, about some sort of maybe international domination in this worldly scheme, that what Jesus was going to do was set up a rival kingdom to the Roman Empire so that he could move Caesar aside, or maybe even some kind of great coup attempt where Caesar is removed. 
See, this is a false claim about who Jesus is, as if Jesus is interested in our political structures. See, the call to follow Christ is not the call to join a rebellion against world powers. Now, there may be, again, some things in our culture or some things in our society that we as Christians have to call out or resist because of the Scripture, the authority of Christ in our life, but it's not to gather ourselves and create our own kingdom. Now, there's coming a glorious day when our King, Jesus, will come and He will establish a kingdom. This day that we're talking about in John 19 is not that day. And his rival will not be Caesar. His rival on that day will be the great arch enemy of all of us, the evil one, Satan himself. You see, the kingdom that he establishes is spiritual nature. The kingdom that he establishes, this is Old and New Testament, that is one of righteousness and peace Not one of military dominance and coercion of some sort, sort seeing if he can twist the political powers to his favor. No, as a matter of fact, what we find out is when Jesus rules on his kingdom, he defeats his enemies with his words. You see, he's not a rival to Caesar or any other political power. He's the king of kings. He's over them all. He's the one who's created all things. And so there's a claim here that's just not true. So again, it, it, your, your claim or the thing that you've wrestled with may not be either of these, but the point is, is this, that oftentimes to keep us from having to deal with Jesus and his claim of authority over our lives, we began to create reasons and claims about that so that we can press him aside. But when we face a crisis that makes us decide about Jesus, we have at that moment a a chance to pivot and respond. But you know what we often do? This is what I would do. I've done it many times in my life in the past. When something about Jesus' authority is challenging me, what happens in that moment, and I'm facing that crisis, and I'm having to do something, what I first try to do is I try to regain control. You see, the crisis is causing me to have to deal with something in, about God's claim over me. And, and, and so my first pivot is to say, okay, let me see if I can just calm this situation and figure it out on my own. You can see that's exactly what Pilate does in verse 13. It says, then when Pilate heard these words, the words from the Jews, it says that he brought Jesus out and he sat down at the judgment seat, this place called the stone pavement. You see what Pilate's doing? He's so flustered by the situation that he's like, okay, I, I gotta get control of this. Now, I've gotta, I've gotta put myself, let me, let me put my robe back on. Let me go find my fancy seat that I can sit in and, and I can kind of peer down at the others as if I have control of this situation. Hey, let me ask you. Recently, has there been something in your life that's helped you to see maybe clearer than ever before, that you're not in control. That that, that there really is a crisis that you're facing. And though you would love to solve it, you'd love to resolve it, you'd love to move past it, what you instead found is that you're not wise enough or strong enough to answer the situation. 
Can I just for a moment, before we look back at our text, say this to you? You have an opportunity to accept Jesus as a Savior who is both wise enough and strong enough to handle your situation. But what happens for many of us, we try to regain control of the situation on our own. We try to resolve it. Sometimes we do it by suppressing the emotions, right? We're, we're so distraught about something, we're like, okay, I'm okay. Yeah, that didn't really bother me. I'm not bothered by that. Or we try to mask those emotions, right? Hey, give me another sip of that. Or, hey, let me, let me just throw myself in at work. Hey, let me just back out of this situation. It's really her fault. It's really his fault. Let me just step out, and then I'll be good again. You see, what happens when Jesus comes into our life in the way, in the claim of his kingdom, his rule, and then there's crisis and there's situation, in that moment, there's a chance of decision. And I would just suggest to you that many of us in this room, many of us who are listening to this text and to this sermon, I would say this, this is an opportunity for you. Will you try to do as Pilate did and sort of say, no, I'm okay, I'm okay? Or would you say, I'm not okay unless Jesus takes over? What we see here in this second scene is a pivot to this call that Pilate says, well, look at the king, behold the king, look at him. And I would say to you this morning, look at the king, the king who went to the cross for you. Let's look at it in verses 14 and 15. This is what it says. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate, he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. You see, Pilate said the right thing. He said, behold your king, and there in verse 14. See, to say the right thing about Jesus is not all that's necessary. To confess our faith in Jesus is not just saying true things about him but submitting ourselves to his rule. Thanks to a really great worship team this morning. You, we, said various things about Jesus that are absolutely true. Some of you sang them really well, and then there was the rest of us. But, but we sang them nonetheless, and those things were true. But to confess our faith, like some of you are going to do in a couple weeks in baptism is not just, hey, I'm going to say something, I'm going to say an agreement to these words, and then they're going to place me under the water, and then everything's different. What's going to happen is you've made a decision to submit yourself to the rule of Christ. That's what we do when we confess our faith. Not just that these things are true, and they are about Jesus, but because they're true, I now place myself under his kingship. Pilate said, behold your king. And ultimately, this is the preaching of the church, this church. Time and time again, week after week, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard this. The message of the gospel in John and in this church is this, 
Behold your king, Jesus. And in that moment, there's this opportunity to decide, what are you going to do? Are you going to agree with what we're saying or even more so? Are you willing to submit yourself to his rule? You see what happens with the Jews, you know the story. They actually reject him, right? And to reject Jesus as king ends up being a denial of him altogether. Did you notice it there in verse 15? They cried out, away with him, away with him. So if you would, he says, behold your king. And they said, that's not our king. Get rid of him. That's not our king. We're dismissing. We're to find something else. Find someone else. But they don't end there, right? They end with crucify him. Crucify him. You see, Jesus is such an invasive power in our lives that we can't just say, oh, he's a good dude. He's such an invasive power in our life that we can't say, you know what, I'm going to live my life and do my own thing, but a little bit of Jesus juice would be really nice. Kind of like a, your favorite spice. This smells good, but if I can add a little of this stuff on it, whoo! And a lot of times that's the way we think about Jesus. I want to live my life, and man, things are pretty good. I've got a pretty good plan going. If I can sprinkle a little Jesus on this, whoo! But what happens is this, in that time when his kingship, his claim to rule over us comes right there in our face, we have to make that decision. And to deny his rule over us is to deny him altogether. Jesus never offered for you to follow him like this. Hey, if you'll agree with me, I promise that wherever you go, I'll run to keep up with you. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. If we don't, we dismiss him altogether. We'll see in the next verse, in verse 16, Sorry, at the end of verse 15, it's that we also say to reject Jesus as king is to choose someone or something else to rule over us. You see, we're ruled people. Something, someone rules over us. You see it there in verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. A few moments ago, I uh, gave the ridiculous illustration of the British people saying, uh, we have no king but Vladimir Putin. That's how ridiculous this comment is from the religious leaders. We don't want the king that God has for us. We instead pledge our loyalty to Caesar. But see, this is the age-old story. It's the age-old story before them and since them. That to deal with the question of whether, what am I going to do with Jesus leads us either to embrace him as king or choose to be ruled by something else. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 6. If you're familiar with that story, he actually uses the language not of rule but of dying and then ruling. This is what he says. You can either die to yourself 
and be dead with Christ and be raised with Him and enjoy that new life? Or you can submit yourself to something else, this old sin nature. So my question to you is this, what do you want to be ruled by? That old sin nature? I look back at stages of my life and I know exactly what was ruling me. Every choice I made seemed to be driven by my sin nature. Every relationship I was in was being affected by it. Future options were being limited by the choices and consequences of that, of that decisions, following after the rule of that sin nature. Sometimes it, it took the face of my friends. Whatever they said, I did. Sometimes it, it, it took the face of the guy that looking at me in the mirror. Whatever he wanted, I did. The claim of Jesus is that he should be your king. If you choose to reject him, something else rules us. We see this actually, again, it's an age-old story. Back in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, there's a, there's, a, there's a stage, there's a battle that's going on. And the battle is between all the forces of the earth, all the kings of the earth, like Pilate, who are, who are resisting. And this is what it says back in Psalm 2, that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And what they cry out is this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We want to rule ourselves, they say. You are not the boss of me, God. When God responds, by the way, in Psalm 2, to their desire for self-rule, this is what he says, as for me, I have chosen my king. Upon Zion, my holy hill. The king he's talking about is the son, Jesus. I've chosen my king. Oh, there is a king. He's the rightful king. So then the rest of the psalm goes like this. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord. Psalm 2. Kiss the son. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here's the appeal all the way back in Psalm 2, all throughout the Gospel of John, and in this place today is this. O kings of the earth, O people who would want to rule themselves, be wise, be warned, serve the Lord, embrace the Son. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You see, but our third and final scene from the text this morning is in verse 16 where Pilate makes a deadly decision. Did you see it? It's almost an afterthought in the dialogue. This is what it says, verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. 
he delivered them, him over to them to be crucified. You see, the re- rejection of Jesus as king by kings and governors and authorities and nations has been planned by God. It's been declared by God for centuries. It's a part of God's revealed purposes. And in that moment when Pilate had a, cho- a choice, he could choose one way or the other, his choice was to go along With all of those false claims, all of that evil thinking, all of his own desire for self-rule. And he says, yeah, you take him. You crucify him. Sometimes when we see a scene like this, we wonder, who's really in control? Was it Pilate? Remember how Pilate tried to pretend he was in control? Is it Pilate? Was he in control in this situation? It didn't look like he's in control, does it? What about the religious leaders? Are they the ones really in control? Over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, one of Jesus' earliest disciples, Peter, is speaking, and this is what he says. He He had been facing the same chief priests just a few weeks after Jesus. He'd been tried by them and being tested by them. And verse 24 of Acts 4 says this. And when they'd heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Who's in control? Sovereign Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and it's everything that's in them. Who to the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes from Psalm 2 about the kings of the earth and how they were gathered. Verse 27, for truly, this is Peter, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, meaning everyone was against him. But this is what Peter says in verse 28, which is super insightful. To do whatever your hand And your plan had predestined to take place. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus is not a great mistake. The crucifixion of Jesus is a great offer for us to escape the penalty of our sin. God's great plan was to rescue us through the death of His Son. His great plan was to use the rejection of the nation, which they would do so willingly and spitefully. He used that to bring salvation to all who would submit themselves to the rule of King Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, a question I asked a few moments ago, is there something right now in your life? It's helping you see even more vividly, maybe even just thinking through this text or the last few weeks of text, that you would be able to hear even more clearly the call of God to behold your King. I want to end this morning with just a few questions for us to think through. I'm going to use this as a means to think about how we can respond, how we can respond to God's call to behold his king. First, how have you remained indifferent to Jesus as the true king? Have you kept him at arm's length? 
Have you said, don't mess with that area of my life? Have you been resisting his conviction in a particular area of sin in your life? Don't meddle there, Jesus. Are you wanting to make your own life choices regardless of how it affects others? Let me be me, Jesus. Are you angry with God for something that's happened? How have you remained indifferent to Jesus as the true king? And secondly, are you willing to submit to Jesus' rule and seek his refuge? If the Lord has his finger on that area of rebellion, will you surrender this morning? Will you refuse to find comfort in false satisfactions, things that don't satisfy? Will you find refuge in the only one who can rescue you, King Jesus? Would you pray with me? Lord, in these next few moments, we'll have an opportunity to respond to this question. What will we do with Jesus? Lord, help us to do so now with hearts that are submitted, submitted to the King, King Jesus. I pray in his name.